And there's this tendency of environmentalists to look at a mud hut village and see culture, whereas people who live in the mud huts see poverty all around them, and they want the brick houses, they want the concrete houses. If you build a, but if you build a concrete house there, the environmentalists will call it the destruction of culture. Poverty is not a culture. Poverty is a curse. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an amazing and exciting guest lined up for you today. He and his wife are two of the most courageous thought leaders out in the world today. They take on extremely controversial and taboo subjects. They turn them into documentaries and even dramatic movies. They write best-selling books about them, and they educate the world. In a way, they're almost the conscience of the world today in 2018. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Phelan McAleer. Welcome to the show, Phelan. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Really, it's, it's a pleasure to have you. So, Phelan, our listener is someone who is either a thought leader or an aspiring thought leader. That means that it's very important for them to understand from our guests, from the experts that we bring on, you know, how that is that they got to be the thought leaders that they are. So why don't you give us your backstory? Our listener wants to know. Yeah, backstory. I suppose that... It's hard to believe that I have a backstory, but I suppose I do. I was a, an average journalist working for newspapers. I went to, you know, a European journalist, went to the Financial Times, went to cover Eastern Europe for them, Romania, Bulgaria, the Republic of Moldova, and, you know, did the usual journalism. And, you know, what happened was there was a story about a gold mine opening up in Transylvania, and... You know, it was a usual story about an evil mining company, Canadian mining company, coming to destroy the village, destroy the people, pollute, rape, pillage, the usual. So I went up there and, you know, I remember got up with my wife on the train and it was in Transylvania, believe it or not, that place actually exists. And, we, you know, the only thing we were working at was how to get bloodsucker and, and vampire into the headline to describe the uh, mining company. And we got up there and, you know, the mining company were going to destroy the village, correct? And, but they were going to build a model village for people with houses a couple of miles away. So we they built this model house in the middle of the village. And we walked into the model house, uh, which is kind of a Swiss chalet thing. And there was a woman standing in the middle of the room, an 86-year-old woman crying. And my wife gets out her microphone and goes, oh, great, a victim. Excellent, because that's what journalists do when they see a victim. They don't do sorry. <laughs> they think there's a story. Oh, my God, a victim. Why are you crying? Why are you crying? Is it because of the evil mining company? And the woman said, I'm crying because I hope I live long enough to live in a house like this. Wow. And, and you know what? She never did because of two environmentalists, two foreign environmentalists, stopped that mining project. You know? And, you know, you, as a journalist, you can then say, well, well, whose story are you going to tell? Are you going to tell the story from the foreign environmentalists? 
that is full, that we then found out is full of exaggeration, misrepresentation and lies. Or you can tell the story about the people who live in the village who have been mining there for 2,000 years, whose place is, is polluted because of communist mining practices and the Canadian mining company is going to clean it up. And there's a sort of tens in journalism, he said, she said. But when, you looked at, when we looked at the facts, what the company was saying was true, what the environmentalists were saying was incorrect, factually. And, and, and the thing is, if an environmentalist lies, they raise more money because they can panic people. If a company CEO lies, he can go to jail, he can be bankrupted, his company can be closed, his share price will tank. All these things can happen. But there's, there's no accountability on the international environmental movement. And as journalists, you have to make people accountable. And so then I decided, you know, let's, let's poke this bear. Let's see what gets there. And, you know, I remember at the time thinking, when I, as I discovered, you know, that the enemies of, of the world's poor actually very often was not big business. It was big environment who was stopping development projects. I remember uncovering this going, this is great. Wow. I, I'm, you know, I was making a documentary. This is great. No one's done this before. Like this is, the left are going to love this. You know, this is going to provoke discussion and debate and, 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 and really, you know, force people to think again and cause internal arguments and all. You know, boy, was I disappointed. Because we were giving voice to real poor people in real areas, not activists, not paid activists, not environmentalists, not rich kids from foreign countries, not rich kids from the, from the home countries either, but actual people who lived in these villages who wanted development, who wanted jobs with computers and trucks and digging equipment and microchips uh, and wanted a better life for their children. And, you know, and there's this tendency of environmentalists to look at a mud hut village and see culture, whereas people who live in the mud huts see poverty all around them and they want the brick houses. They want the concrete houses. If you build a, but if you build a concrete house there, the environmentalists will call it the destruction of culture. Poverty is not a culture. Poverty is a curse. So that was, the, you know, I decided then that was the story that I was going to tell. That, that how and I thought at the time that the left would embrace that story and, and have serious questions with itself. Yeah, unfortunately, that wasn't true. Unfortunately, the modern left, I think, has been hijacked by a, an extreme Marxist uh, crypto-fascist element that uh, brooks no dissent. And they're using tactics uh, that were used by Stalin and Hitler back in the day. But I mean, that's not the, the primary purpose of, of our discussion today. But sadly, that's true. They're not interested in, 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 in helping people. They're interested in power and control. Yeah, I, I didn't know that at the time, actually. I honestly thought that they were interested in in, in helping people, I really did, and you know, it took it was quite a shock to me when I said, "Look, look here, look here's the evidence that you're not helping people. Are you, you know, you must be interested in this. This is quite good. I mean, this is interesting. If you, you know, you're genuinely interested in helping people, let's talk about how you can actually help people. Is there a way to help people and still have the mind? Uh, is there anything they can do? And they, I suddenly realized they're not interested in one bit in in a factory or a mine." or anything. They want to stop industrialization. They want to stop development. And then, then you have to ask, why? Why are they not? Why are they, you know, if, if the company could come along and say, we're going to open the, clean up the village. And as the company was obliged to spend money to clean up old style pollution from the common area, uh, that didn't happen because of environmentalists. So people are living in polluted environments now because of the environmental movement. So your courage in speaking truth to power and and 
getting messages like this out is what really puts you on the map, is what had you stand out. One of my mentors is a fellow from Australia named Matt Church, and he says, an expert someone who knows something, a thought leader is someone who's known for so- knowing something. You and your wife, Anne, you guys are known for taking on controversial subjects, subjects that in this day and age, a lot of conventional journalists and traditional mainstream, so-called mainstream outlets won't take on. You take them on, and, and, and you bring them to light. So what has had you continue to do this, Phelan? Well, you know, maybe stupidity, you know? <laughs> uh, maybe craziness. I, I think it's partly, I'm from Northern Ireland, right? Uh, I grew up during the Troubles. I couldn't tell, you sound Italian to me. <laughs> yes, I, I, tell people, I, I tell people I'm from Idaho and I got this accent from a Hollywood voice coach. Uh, some people believe me as well. Um, <laughs> You're a man after uh, me on heart, sir. I'm from Northern Ireland. And, you know, I grew up with conflict. And, you know, maybe I'm used to conflict. Maybe, you know, maybe it's where I feel comfortable. I, I just, you know, it, it's very easy to be the loudest voice in the room, right? You know, you know, this idea, Hollywood says we love controversy. And they don't. What they're really saying is we love uh, our own opinions shouted back to us in a really loud voice, you know, like Michael Moore. And it's like, that's not controversy. That's, that's just it's people telling you what you want to hear. Controversy is being at a dinner party and three people hating you for your opinions and two thinking about it and one at the end keeping quiet because they always thought about it. They always thought that anyway, uh, but they were afraid to say. I just, I didn't want to be that journalist that, that, that was a, a reliable player, you know, on, on the team. And that would report the story as, as, as they wanted it reported. Wow. You know, so you decided to take on these incredibly controversial subjects that have brought a lot of opprobrium on your head. Let's face it, you know, people in your industry don't typically like having their sacred cows slaughtered. And that's exactly what you've done. You've slaughtered a lot of sacred cows. So... Having done this in, in this instance, you know, walk us through how you've arrived where you are today with this incredible movie that you and your wife have brought to life about America's most prolific serial killer. And it, it's a story that almost nobody knows because the traditional mainstream media outlets have decided not to cover it. Yeah, I mean, I, I made a documentary about fracking, you know, questioning the, the conventional wisdom that fracking is this evil evil thing, uh, you know, look, yeah, I want the facts, I want the scientific facts. You know, when you look at the scientific facts, there's nothing really there. You know, that's the thing is, you know, it's lots of allegations and lots of lawsuits and lots of anecdotes, but, you know, facts about pollution from fracking, very limited, very limited. So fracking's big in Pennsylvania. I happened to be in Pennsylvania for a screening and I had a couple of days off and I read in the local paper in Philadelphia about this uh, this court case going on, the Kermit Gosnell case. And I went down and I went into the courtroom and it was a massive courtroom. Uh, you know, the prosecution had hired the biggest courtroom in the area because of the massive media interest in America's biggest serial killer. And uh, I saw pictures that I were in my 25 years as an investigative journalist. I never saw the like. Then I, I also saw, I also heard evidence. I'd never heard the like before. And then uh, I saw Kermit Gosnell, America's biggest serial killer, sitting a few feet away from me. But actually, the most shocking thing of all, the most shocking thing of all, 
was behind me. It was the empty court, empty press benches. There was no national journalists, no mainstream journalists, just some local reporters. That to me is shocking. That to me was was unacceptable. Uh, and it's also, by the way, you know, for people out there who are thought leaders, it was an opportunity as well. You know, if you're sitting there and your jaw is hitting the floor in shock at what you're hearing and no one else is hearing it and no one else is reporting it, that's an opportunity. If you're shocked by something, but it's not getting out there, you can be sure everyone else is going to be shocked by it. Uh, you know, and, you know, and it was a real problem for the prosecution, actually, because the jury were going home hearing this incredible evidence going home and it wasn't in the mainstream media. And, you know, if it's not in the mainstream media, it do, is it real? Does it really happen? So don't be fooled by the media not covering something. If you're shocked or moved or, or by something, then let's get it out there and, 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 and run with it because you know, that's an opportunity, uh, not, not a problem. Let's talk about this a little bit from the business end of things, shall we? It, it, it's a powerful point that you just made. So I have a client in my program. So I, I have a program uh, that helps people who are thought leaders basically uh, position themselves as the go-to thought leader in their space and monetize it in a powerful way. So I have a, a client of mine, and he was in the personal fitness space. So he was a trainer when I met him. He was 25 years old, barely had two pennies to rub together, didn't have enough clients. He started working with us, and we started positioning him. And he tried um, a, a couple of different uh, niches, if you will, or niches, as we say here in Canada. Um, yeah. And they didn't work. And then he met a guy who was a Paralympian. His leg had been cut off when he was a, a child. And he'd won some medals at the Paralympic Games. And an idea went off in his head. He said, you know what? Nobody's trying to help people with missing limbs work out. What if I put a workout program together for them? So, Fellum, this was a genius idea on his part because as soon as he did that, he went from like less than 20 clients to over 400 almost overnight, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't have the wherewithal to be able to take on all the new business that he had. He went from making, you know, $20,000 a year, less than that, to this year he's going to do almost $3.5 million, right? He's 29 years old right now. He's a kid. He's single. God bless him. He's got all this money coming in. Mm -hmm. And... um but I'll tell you why he won. He won because people with missing limbs had nobody serving them when it came to their health and fitness. It was almost like the message was, you're damaged, there's nothing you can do, so you know, don't bother working out. And this young man, Dan Nisker's his name, his message was, you're not damaged, you're a badass, you're a warrior, and I'm gonna turn you into one again. And that affected them not only on the physical plane, but also emotionally and intellectually. And they really bought into his message. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. he became the go-to guy. This guy makes more money than any trainer in North America who's not coaching a, a mega Hollywood star. <laughs> Think about that, right? And he's a 29-year-old kid here in Toronto. You know, and, and essentially what you're saying is that if no one is going after what you're going after, that's, that's a good thing because yeah. that means there's an underserved market yeah. for your message. And your message mm -hmm. here is that there are certain stories that the mainstream media doesn't want to cover and there are yeah. audiences hungry for those stories. So I'm going to cover them. And lo and behold, you've had these hyper successful platforms movies, mm. books, and now 
a movie that's like going to be in like 700 theaters across the United States. And by the way, is it going to be in Canada as well? Not yet. Not yet. If it's successful in the United States, uh, yeah, we'll be expanding to Canada. So that's that's the thing. We need people. I don't know when this podcast will air. Hopefully, hopefully it'll air soon. It'll uh, air very but, soon. I'll make sure of it. Yeah. You know, uh, it's important to have a big bang opening weekend and, and the next weekend, big bang. You know, it's the Hollywood pays attention. I mean, you, you can go outside the mainstream, but at the end of the day, you know, you have to work within the mainstream. You know, you have to prove yourself with figures, facts and figures, you know. For example, this movie, obviously Hollywood wouldn't fund it, so we went crowdfunding. Uh, Kickstarter rejected us, wouldn't, wouldn't let us on. Uh, so we went to Indiegogo. We raised... Uh, $3.2 million, uh, sorry, $2.3 million from 30,000 people. Now, that's a massive, that shows you there's a hunger out there, there's an appetite out there for this story. But that's a massive base of people that we can then leverage for our next project and our next project. You know, and I would say that to thought leaders is, you know, I mean, there was all these people out there demanding this kind of content. It wasn't being provided. They give us $2.3 million to do it. When we started off, there was no crowdfunding. We started making the environmental documentaries. There was no crowdfunding. We had to get investors and, and people like that. Now it's just, now we're, 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 now crowdfunding has opened all these platforms. Uh, so I would say to people, you know, if you're shocked, if you're not, if you're shocked by something, if you're saying that's strange, that's interesting. Wow. Nobody's doing that. You know, try crowdfunding, but you know, don't take crowdfunding. Uh, take crowdfunding seriously. Just because you know it's a great story doesn't mean everyone else will get it. You have to prove it. You have to go out there and sell it. Uh, don't don't think. I see a lot of people in crowdfunding failing. I think more crowdfunding projects fail now than succeed, and it's because people don't believe they have to do the work because the story, the idea is so good. And there are a lot of good ideas out there, but you know, unfortunately, it's not enough. Uh, it's not enough, and and I think you know just to almost to go back again. We were we're Irish living in Romania. We made a documentary called Mind Your Own Business that was hugely successful in America. And I remember coming to America the first time, and it was a movie attacking the environmental movement, which no one had really done before. And uh, I remember speaking to this very senior journalist, and he goes, "I have friends who've wanted to make this documentary for ten years, but they're worried about your careers, about their careers." You made it because you live in you live in Romania and uh, you don't care about your career. And you know he was right. We were so we didn't realize what we were doing. You know we didn't realize we we're poking a bear. We thought we were just telling a great story, and we were. And then we realized, well, we might just keep well keep going because this is a great story and there's so many layers to it. So, so you know, I got there's a lot of points in there, but you know, I, I, you know, people, you need to follow. If you're shocked by something, you need to go with it, and uh, don't forget crowdfunding. Now, crowdfunding is very powerful. There's no question about it. But the point you made here about you can't just expect people to come running to you is a very important one. We say in thought leadership that the, your number one job is you're a problem solver. You're solving a problem. You're scratching an itch. You're solving a wound. And essentially, that's what you and your wife have done with this upcoming movie and all the movies that you've done. There is a, an itch that wants to be scratched. And that itch is there's tons of people in the Western world today who feel that the mainstream media is 
not their friend, you know, is not giving them the full truth, and they want to know the truth. We live in an age where people are hungering for authenticity. People are hungering for transparency. So you scratch that itch, and people have said, yes, this man is scratching our itch. He and his wife, they get it. We are going to buy their books, watch their movies, and tell people about them. Essentially, you have taken a level 10 pain of people, people that are hurting and suffering because they're not being told the truth and they don't know who to trust, and you're giving them something that says, hey, you can trust us. We're going to tell you the truth. We're, we're, we're going to actually take on the shibboleths. We're going to take on the sacred cows. We're going to bring you the God's honest, unvarnished truth. That, as a thought leader, is called being commercially smart because I am 100% certain that this movie that's coming out this weekend is going to be a massive success. It's going to be one of the biggest movies of the year. And given the fact that you haven't had to go through the traditional Hollywood spending machine to get it out there, it's going to be a very profitable one for you as well. So A, it's going to get the attention of some people in the industry who go, you know what, maybe we ought to take a look at this. But B, more importantly, it's going to continue to build your thought leadership and your brand as a truth teller, as someone who tells truth to power. I think this is very powerful. I don't know if you did this deliberately or not, but it was brilliant, brilliant work. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, I mean, I, I wonder, will Hollywood think again? I mean, this is going to I mean, why isn't Hollywood uh, getting its stars to crowdfund movies and, and even giving the crowdfunders money back? on their investment. You can do that now, equity crowdfunding. Why isn't Hollywood saying, listen, you, you, you know, you know, you, you help, you fund, you fund part of this movie and you get a share of the profits back. I mean, we've got 30,000 people who funded this movie. They're all going to go out on, on opening weekend. They're all going to bring their friends. For sure. They're all, you know, this is, you know, this is a massive audience. Why isn't Hollywood tapping into that, creating, creating fan bases, uh, working with those fan bases? Uh, thankfully, they're not because we are. We're doing this, you know, and you know, we're, we think the Gosnell movie is going to be hugely successful this weekend and next weekend, and and the reason is, you know, is because it's 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 there's an appetite out there. People are tired of the cover-ups. People are tired of the mainstream media not covering stories, and there is a they've built. Thankfully, they've built up a real appetite, and we're just so happy to uh, to fill that that gap. I am thrilled beyond words to have you on my show. I mean, it, it, it's a true honor because um, what you're doing is important. You are helping to make sure that um, more and more people know the story of what happened here so that it can't happen again, you know? Um, evil grows in darkness, and you are shedding a light on that darkness, my friend. Kudos to you and kudos to your wife, Anne. Bravo. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. So... Uh, Tell us a little bit about the movie. Oh, yeah, the movie. We need to talk about the movie. Well, um, you know, the movie is, uh, first of all, you know, it's, it's PG-13. I want to emphasize that. Uh, you've seen the movie, have you? I've seen a trailer for it. I haven't seen the movie oh, yeah. itself yet, my friend. Yeah, the, I'm, I'm looking know, forward to seeing it. If you can, when we're, when we're done with the interview, tell me how I can see it in Canada. It'd be great. Yeah. So um, the, the trailer is, is 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 very much like the movie. You know, it's it's a PG thirteen. It's about America's biggest serial killer. So he, he's an abortion doctor, Gosnell, living in Philadelphia, and he murdered many of his patients. He murdered uh, many children born alive, uh, stabbed them to death, 
as a, you know, uh, these were viable human beings. Um, the grand jury thought he did hundreds, perhaps thousands, in a 30-year in a killing spree. And he was allowed to keep killing, even though the bodies were literally piling up uh, because politicians uh, didn't want to uh, restrict abortion. Uh, and it all started, actually, funny enough, with a Republican governor. Up until Republican governor Tom Ridge in Pennsylvania, uh, abortion clinics had to be inspected every year. He got in a pro-choice ticket and said, oh, no, that law that says every year doesn't really mean every year. You don't have to go in and inspect them. So they didn't go in and inspect them. And he was allowed to keep killing and kill and kill and kill unhindered. And uh, it was only he was only caught because uh, he started selling opioids, opioid prescriptions. And uh, the DEA got involved. and a, a local cop, Jim Wood, he got involved. And he was the one who who realized there's something not going going on here that's not right. So it's about his investigation and the political opposition he faced. And then the difficulties of, of trying an abortion doctor for murder in a political atmosphere like that. And also where where people don't really know much about abortion and, and where, they, you know, what's right and what's wrong, what's legal and what's not is a gray area. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's, that's. But he had babies born alive and then he would kill them, right? I mean, this was not even your conventional abortion. He would induce labor, baby would come out, then he'd kill the baby. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, um, that, that is not an abortion. That is plain and simple murder. Yeah, but see then, the prosecution messed up because they brought in uh, professional abortion doctors to describe what a good abortion is, what a legal abortion is. And the, eventually the, the defense forced them to admit you know, what happens if a, baby, if a baby is accidentally born alive? And she said, well, it wouldn't happen. But it can happen. Yeah, it can happen. What happens? Well, we give it comfort care, right? This is from the transcript, and it's in yeah, the movie. I remember. Well, I saw that in the clip care. on your on your interview this weekend. And 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 the doctor said, uh, and, and the lawyer said, what's comfort care? And and you can see all these journalists in the, in, in the courtroom going, do you know what comfort care? I don't know what comfort care. What's that? What's comfort care? And... Uh, she said, comfort care, we would put the baby aside, cover it with a blanket, keep it warm. Eventually, it will pass. And, you know, when you think about it. That's murder, so, too. <laughs> well, I mean, no, it's not under the law. That's legal, right? That's he insane. Was, his babies were born alive and he was stabbing them to death. That's murder. Letting the baby die of dehydration and hunger is, is uh, you, you get medical licenses for that. You, 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 you get money for that. You get, you know, you have... You, you know, that's part of your job. So the jury had a real problem working that one out. Now, in the end, they, they decided that what Gosnell did was murder. But they also felt that there needed to be changes in abortion law as well. Wow. I have no words. I mean, it's, it's horrifying what happened here. But it's, um, it's an important story. You've told it. Now, you have some pretty big stars that are part of this movie, people like Dean Cain and Nick Searcy. Yeah. Nick, Nick, Nick directed it brilliantly. Uh, Dean is fantastic in it, actually. Dean, Dean has the other really great advantage of being a really nice guy. He's a super nice guy, you know, so a pleasure to work he, with. He was young and Superman, Eric, right? He was young Superman, but he's a really nice guy. You know, I mean, I, funny, I think, you know, I think being talented is great in Hollywood, but being really nice is helpful too because you're spending... 16 hours a day for three months with someone, you know. It's nice if they're nice, you know. And Dean is. And we've got Errol Billings, who plays Gosnell, who's super creepy. Um, 
and uh, Michael Beach. You might know Michael Beach, Sons of Anarchy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Attorney. a great show. You know, yeah, so, you know, we've got some great guys in it. Uh, Sarah Jane Morris, who plays the district attorney, a conflicted district attorney. So, um, you know, I it's know a, I know. It's I a actually know her personally. That's amazing. Isn't wow. she from Vancouver okay. originally? Sarah Jane Morris? No. No. Okay, then I've got her confused with someone else. Okay, okay. Maybe she is. Maybe she is, you know. Actually, I don't. Yeah, actually, funny enough, she has an international background. I know her parents live in Texas now, but is she right? She may have an, she has an international background, so you may be talking with the right person. I'll go look up my old emails. That's that, that, That'd be too funny if they're the same person. That's amazing. So you've got this movie. It's opening this weekend. It's, it's in 700 movie theaters. So, you know, listener, if you're listening to this, this is a powerful movie. It's a movie that almost didn't get made. And this, this brave and courageous man and his brave and courageous wife wrote a book that, that was a, a New York Times and Amazon bestseller. And it deserves your support. Go check it out. And, and, and if you've learned anything from Philem and uh, what he's done throughout his career, it's be willing to go where other people aren't and uh, do the work. Do the work to yeah. help people see what value you can bring to them. Yeah. Am I right do, about do, this? Yeah, do the work is important, funny enough. It's not enough to have the, 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 the great new idea or that. You actually have to do the work, right? It's a competitive world out there for, for, for new ideas. And you can have a new idea, but it needs, you need to push it, you know, and you need to get it out there. Um, and, you know, we're not pro-life activists. And, and people have said to us, you know, uh, um, our movie, you know, thank, uh, somebody said, thank God it's not another uh, crap conservative movie, right? Yeah. And, you know... Because it's not; it's a proper movie, and you know we didn't come into this as pro-life activists, so we're not pro-life activists. So, and I think that meant we made a movie rather than a political statement, uh, which is always more entertaining. And, and I suppose that would, that's what I'd say to the people out there who the thought leaders. You know, you may be involved in a area, right? But if you can take your ideas and principles and move it slightly off the center of your focus, a bit like that trainer guy, you know. He was trying new ways of training people, training people in the U.S., this and that, and the other wasn't working. He just moved slightly away training people with missing limbs and suddenly became successful because he was applying the principles he'd worked so hard on uh, in, in, on the mainstream to, to, the, to this niche group, and that became a roaring success. So, you know, if, you have, if you're working at something that's pretty mainstream and you have certain principles and cores and thought ideas and thought leader ideas... Move a little and apply them to something else that's not as well covered, and that may be your way forward. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so listen, as we wrap up, how can people find out where to go see the movie? There's a website, right? Is it gosnellmovie.com? That's the one. Okay, and there are 700 theaters in the United States that are carrying the movie. So if you're in the United States and listening to this, go to gosnellmovie.com, find out where uh, it's playing that's close to you, and make sure you go see it. And definitely go to Amazon and buy the book, Gosnell, The Story of America's Most Prolific Serial Killer. I believe that's by you and your lovely wife, Anne. And, yes, uh, and if you are one of our international listeners, like me, in Canada, in Australia, in the U.K., you know what? Um, put a group together. 
and ask for the movie to be brought to your country because it's a, it's a movie worth watching. And, and, and hopefully you've learned from Phelan that number one, it's important to go where other people don't dare go. It's important to, to make sure that you are serving an audience that's underserved, that has an itch that needs scratching at a level 10. Make sure that you go do that and make sure that you do the work. Because if you don't do the work, you are not going to win. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Crowdfunding. Take a look at, go, go on crowdfunding and, and if any area you're interested in. Look at some of the great projects in there and look at how they failed. Some of them failed spectacularly. And that's because the people thought it would be easy. Yeah. It's yeah. not. Yeah, 100%. That's true. That's true. And that, that's not just true for crowdfunding. That's true for conventional selling inside a thought leadership yeah. practice, right? Yeah, well, crowdfunding is just selling, by the way. Yeah, it you know, really is. is. Just selling, selling to a big group, right? <laughs> yeah. It's saying you're saying, I, well, actually, very often you're selling to a niche group because you, you, your emails will target someone or you'll be in a podcast that works for Europe that your people, somebody will have you on say, hey, you've got this new project, you're crowdfunding. And then you have to go on and sell it. You know, but you have to get on that podcast. You have to get on that media outlet. You have to identify the media outlet and reach out to them in advance. So, you know, if, if you're not prepared, these people were not prepared to sell. They didn't know how to sell their idea to their to the core group that, that it was affecting and their crowdfunding failed. And, but crowdfunding succeeds as well. So, you know, well, you know what? You could create I, a course I, I, on how I, to do crowdfunding su successfully. I could talk to you about how to market that at some point if you're interested, because I think yeah, I, I think I, it'd be a powerful thing that a lot of people could benefit from. It's very interesting. Uh, you know, I know you want to wrap up. But it's very interesting. So I've raised something like almost three million dollars uh, now crowdfunding in about seven different projects. Very rarely do people phone me up and ask me advice on crowdfunding. Well, I'm going to tell you something, like, my friend. I'm going to ask you for some advice on that. But I'm, uh, you should think about this, you and your wife. Not a lot of people do what you've done. If you can put your principles in a program, that's a program that a lot of people would be interested in purchasing. And um, we can have an offline conversation about another time once, you're, once your movie's been released and everything's in a good space. But this is a real thing, and it's got people that are willing to pay. And that's, that's something that I have some expertise in is that there, there's people that are willing to pay for certain types of knowledge. How to raise money crowdfunding would be high on the list because not a lot yeah, of people but, do it successfully. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean I, I'm not sure you're correct there. I mean, we can continue this discussion another time. But I think people think crowdfunding is easy because they only see it the front. It is not. I tried it, it once. Not. It was hard. If it was easy, if it was easy, if it, you know. If they treated it seriously, they'd phone me up and say, what, what mistakes did you make? How can I avoid them? I mean, and by the way. Can I tell you, you why know, they don't do that? You're not charging them. You're not charging them. If you charge them $10,000 inside of a program, they would listen to you very carefully. I'll tell you the, the story of this young man, Dan, that I told you about. Um, yeah. I have a friend who is in business. He's one of my best friends. I uh, offered to coach him for free to help him become successful, and I charged Dan a lot of money. Um, mm -hmm. Dan has paid me hundreds of thousands of dollars for the work I've done for him that's made him millions, right? Mm -hmm. So this friend of mine has paid me nothing. And within two months of us working together, he quit because I yeah. offered to coach him for free. Dan was paying me. He didn't quit. He kept going. Yeah. Dan's business was smaller than my friend's, and now it dwarfs my friend's business. Yeah. People who Maybe pay I'll for things, take them seriously. People who ask for advice that they don't pay for, don't. Sorry yeah. to say this, but it's human nature. We value what we pay for. That yeah, maybe you're right. We don't charge people. I mean, very often, you know, it's you know, people. And I, I, I want people to succeed crowdfunding. You know, and you're right. We don't charge. And uh, I mean, I remember one guy, a Hollywood star, was going to do some crowdfunding and uh, for a movie. And 
his agent phoned me up and said, let's have a meeting. And we said, oh, you know, hey, it'd be nice to, you know, nice hanging out with a Hollywood star and, and hear what he has to say. So we went to the meeting. It, the agent turned up and the Hollywood star didn't turn up. That's fair enough, by the way. The agent was getting some background. But then we started talking and talking. The agent was taking notes. And then, well, actually, that, and that's unusual because sometimes they don't even take notes. But then the agent says, oh, this is great stuff. He says, this is great stuff. You know, I wish the guy who's going to be running the crowdfunding had come. I'm going, really? So, like, so you're, you know, so, so of course, the project failed. And this was a, you know, a quite senior Hollywood celebrity, and his project failed. And, and we'd charged 10 grand for that, it turned out. Yeah, they would have. Listen, you have a movie that you need to promote, but yes. you know how to get a hold of me. Three, four yeah. weeks, we should have a, an online coffee. <laughs> we'll talk. <laughs> okay. Listen, this is great. Thank you so much. It's an honor to have had you here. Make sure, listener, that you go check out gosnellmovie.com to find out where it's playing. Go buy a copy of the book. Buy five or ten. Christmas is coming up in a couple months. Hand them out to your friends and family. And that wraps up another amazing, exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about our amazing guest, Phelan McAleer, and his incredible movie, Gosnell, the story of America's most prolific serial killer, go to the show notes at thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. And if you are who I know you to be, a fabulous, beautiful human being who is ready to serve the world with your gifts, but you've been frustrated because no matter how hard you try, you've been stuck on a plateau. You can't get to the level that you want to get to. You have not yet achieved the best version of yourself in the world. Go to ecircleacademy.com forward slash appointment. Click on book your success call right now. It's absolutely free. And get on a call with myself or a member of our team so we can show you how you can take that genius, that expertise that's within you and make a big difference in the world. Until next time, goodbye.